Morning, it's time for midday here on this, uh, what is turned out to be a muggy Wednesday. Tyler Cavalli along with you will be joined by Jason Jorgensen here previewing sports in just a moment. Bob Brogan is in as well. But we'll start with our own Susan Littlefield. And Susan, I know she has been busy, as has the rest of the farm team. And Susan, we have for us today. Well, thanks, Tyler. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Alex is going to kick everything off at 1219 as she talks to the extension specialist, Bob Wright, talking about a scouting update. Shaley then will step in at 1245, speaking with Jessica Herman on some newly introduced legislation. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as we talk about controlling pests in our fields. That's a midday on a Wednesday from the farm team. Thank you very much, Susan. Well, Jason in sports, we're getting closer and closer to the Shrine Bowl. Might be one of the only football games in America and since, well, I don't know when, last time. Since the uh, ill-fated XFL. That might be the last one. I I can't think think of any other All-Star games going on in any other states. At least they haven't been talking about it. Now, the uh, Shrine Bowl for Kansas is set next week. Okay. Uh, They'll play that in Topeka. But you're right, a lot of these games have not happened. Uh, Nebraska's going to pull theirs off on Saturday. Of course, we'll have it for everyone along the Rural Radio Network and here on 880 KRVN. Coming up in sports, we'll hear one of the local kids, Tucker Wyatt from Gothenburg. Hmm. He just got a call out of the blue three weeks ago, and they called him up and they said, Would you like to play? He's like, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Not doing anything else anyway. So When, uh... When do I need to be there? Right. Uh, in the several of the local kids I've spoken to uh, leading up to this thing, all of them were gung-ho in doing it. Now, of course, when you're 18, you feel you're bulletproof. You don't worry about anything. I'm sure their mm-hmm. folks maybe thought about mm-hmm. it uh, a little bit. but Now, I did see on a tweet uh, a couple days ago that they mentioned everybody did pass all the tests. Now, I don't know if they're still testing them each day or what that protocol is like, but at least early on, everybody was clean. Yeah, so far, so good with crossing the fingers so we'll talk about the shrine bowl we'll also talk about nebraska's latest verbal commitment ladarius webb jr of course his dad played in the nfl for close to 12 years and won a super bowl title with the baltimore ravens well jr yesterday announced that uh, he plans to be a husker if that happens he would be the 12th verbal commitment in this class for the big red i've seen some of the uh, scuttlebutt online about this uh, he had one other offer that was from southern miss and okay. got the offer from nebraska and jumped on it of course, he's still yet to make an in-person visit. We've talked about this before, especially this year with recruiting. Until these guys actually show up. You never know, for you sure. Know. Remind me, what position again? Cornerback. Cornerback. So he's, okay. I believe he's the first cornerback in this class for the Huskers' 21 recruiting cycle. Well, the Huskers do need help back there in the secondary, and if he can uh, you know, build up to it, you never know. So they'll need all the help they can get. He has good genes. If he can turn out to be as good as his dad was... If you can last in the NFL cornerback position Correct. for more than a, a decade, uh, you're a pretty good football player. Perfect. We'll see how that pans out. Bob, how about stocks today? Uh, are they bouncing back since yesterday? Big technology companies are leading stocks higher in uh, trading on Wall Street. Uh, mean t- meanwhile, the the Supreme Court has been in session and has ruled that certain employees of religious schools, hospitals, and social service centers cannot sue for employment discrimination. Um, also, uh, Brooks Brothers, the New York clothing uh, company that has a number of stores, is filing for bankruptcy protection. And uh, Allstate is acquiring National General Holdings Corporation. So those are some of the stories making headlines. Thank you very much. All that and more coming up next here on Midday. 
Time for your latest regional ag weather. As it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Renke dealer. As always, Paul Perkins is joining us. And, well, Paul, tonight the uh, the main story is probably going to be severe weather. Yeah. There Definitely we go. a pretty good chance of some severe weather for tonight. Thanks to a cold front interacting with this hot and humid air already in place across our area right now. And something to note, that chance of severe weather tonight will come to a year to the date of the heavy rain that fell the night before the floods in Kearney. So a lot of things timing down here uh, rather oddly mm-hmm. uh, with some severe weather. Maybe that's this time of year, about the night of the <laughs> July 8th is when you always can book on some severe weather. Hopefully just not as much rain exactly. as last year. Definitely needed, but that was a little too much. Exactly. A lot of locations seeing anywhere from 7 to 10 inches of rain with that Yikes. system last year. And a lot of people having some flooding issues just from the rain and then a lot of that rain, the flooding that did happen in Kearney was because of heavy rains to the right. west of towns, and then it just drained right into Kearney and to the south part there. And I forgot some of those pictures. I, I did see a couple that emerged today on you know Facebook Memories or whatever, and it was crazy how much it just, and it just sat there and didn't really obviously do much, or like you said, it drained into Kearney, and then that was that was crazy as well. So. <laughs> exactly. Right now, of course, hot and humid weather already starting to take hold across the area. Most of our temperatures, actual air temperatures in the mid to upper east. Already touching at 90 in northeast Colorado. It's been on the humid side this afternoon or late this morning here with temperatures on the dew points in the mid to upper 60s. And that is making it feel like it's already into the upper 80s to low 90s. A lot of those low 90s for feels like readings into eastern Nebraska, including Omaha, right now up to 95 on the heat index reading. Just ahead of a cold front for today, sunshine and breezy conditions. Temperatures slightly above average for this time of year. That humidity and during the peak heating of the day probably going to make it feel as hot as 100 to 105. Thunderstorm is expected to develop along the cold front and the high plains, then track east this afternoon through tonight. Now, severe storms possible, especially in central areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Areas north and south of the line from North Platte to Lincoln. Once again, north and south of the line from North Platte to Lincoln in an enhanced risk of severe storms from the Storm Prediction Center. All other areas, but far northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado in a slight risk of severe storms. We do have that map on our KRV and Facebook page. Damaging wind looks to be the main threat. Large hail of concern up to golf ball size hail through the evening along with an isolated tornado. Rainfall amounts look promising. The potential of three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half of rain with locally higher amounts all possible. Now our temperatures for tomorrow through Sunday, a little more seasonal behind that front. A few more thunderstorms are possible for late tomorrow through Saturday with some additional disturbances. That better chance of severe weather coming up tomorrow right along the Nebraska-Kansas border. Drier weather and above normal temperatures return for early next week as that high pressure ridge starts to rebuild back from the desert southwest. The heat will continue in our long-term forecast. Above normal temperatures remain likely for Monday through July 21st for Nebraska and Kansas. The current outlook indicates near normal to slightly below normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through July 21st. That higher chance of drier weather looks to be farther south in Kansas. One of the factors driving the markets include the continuation of just some scattered rain in the Midwest during the next week and the impact of a dry spring for wheat areas of Russia. 
across much of the Midwest. Heat is increasing stress on corn and soybeans where topsoil moisture is lacking. A series of cold fronts will spark some occasional thunderstorms across the eastern half of the U.S. Midwest rain coverage does not appear it will be widespread enough to ease dryness in eastern areas. Substantial rain will focus across the northern Midwest through tomorrow. The eastern Midwest may see a little bit more of a bitter promise of much-needed moisture Friday through Sunday. Otherwise, the dryness will increase when it turns drier with additional heat next week. Little or no rain will fall from the Pacific coast to the high plains. Building heat will accompany that dry weather across the southern high plains. The southern plains heat the next 10 days will favor the late stages of wheat harvest in Kansas, but stressed row crops and livestock. In Russia, rainfall amounts below 50% of normal are leading to reduced wheat yields as harvest begins. The greatest impact in the large production areas of South Russia. Russian crop areas expect only light rain over the next week to 10 days. And it's already warm, as you mentioned, especially in northeast Colorado. It's not even 11 o'clock yet. <laughs> 90 degrees right now. Yeah. It's a dry heat, but it's still nice and warm. And, you know, they've been seeing a lot of triple digits here in the last month, month and a half already. Exactly. Yeah. Their two points right at 50 as compared to us in the mid 60s. So, <laughs> uh, a yeah. little different situation. Exactly. Yeah. A little less humid there. And, yeah, Yuma, Colorado right now at the dew point of 36, Ray, Colorado oh, wow. 45. So, yeah, that drier air, it heats up a lot quicker. All right. Very good. Well, Paul, for more weather, where do you go to? Weather tab, krvn.com. Thank you very much. Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm joined on the phone by Bob Wright. He's a professor of entomology and a Nebraska Extension Specialist here to get a scouting update. Bob, we're into the first week of June already. Uh, What are some things that producers should be looking for? And we'll start with the corn first. Well, in some areas, we're getting close to uh, tassel emergence and silking. And there's some ear-feeding insects to be aware of. Uh, both uh, corn rootworms are starting to emerge, and Japanese beetles are emerging in some areas. And both of these can feed on corn silks. And uh, it isn't so much the number of, of insects, it's the amount of silk that's left exposed to uh, catch pollen. So with both of those insects, if we have silk feeding so severe that there's less than half an inch of silk emerging, that would be a treatable level. Uh, so that's something to, to scout for. That's really important that we get good pollination of our corn. All right, moving into the soybeans then, what are some things we should be looking out for in soybean fields? Well, right now the, the biggest thing is the leaf-feeding insects, and there's a variety of different leaf-feeding insects in soybeans. Uh, we are seeing Japanese beetles move further west in the state, and if you haven't seen them before in your field, they're sort of surprising. They tend to feed in the upper part of the canopy, so it's really obvious if you walk into a field and see them. But we have a few caterpillars and a few other insects and grasshoppers that are feeding in soybeans, and if we have 20% foliation in, vege- in reproductive stage soybeans or 30% in vegetative stage soybeans, that's a treatable level. Uh, in terms of soybean gallmage, have you heard anything from producers about that? I know it was uh, they were starting to pop up around eastern, northeastern Nebraska. Well, yeah, there's eastern and, and east central Nebraska is where they're most abundant, and we've we definitely have had emergence, and we've had larva development in soybeans. The problem is that this is a totally new insect to science. It's never been observed before or described. So there's a lot of aspects of its biology we're trying to figure out. 
as well as uh, management practices that work. And the problem is we're, we need to figure out the timing of treatments if we're going to spray. And uh, so far, because of where the larvae are feeding at the base of the plant inside the stem, it's very hard to get very high levels of control with insecticides. So there's a lot of work still to be done on this. Uh, what else are you noticing in the fields? Anything we haven't covered yet? Well, we're starting to see western bean cutworm moth emergence, and that's something else to, to look at in corn. Uh, they lay the eggs on the upper part of the, the canopy usually, and uh, if we have 5 to 8% of the plants with eggs, that's a treatable level, and if we do have high enough populations, typically we get best control if we can spray after tassels emerge. Uh, they tend to feed in the whirl before tassels emerge, and they're hard to uh, control with insecticides. So I know in eastern Nebraska, we're starting to see egg laying, and we should be seeing egg laying, or we are starting to see egg laying, I just saw yesterday, uh, in western Nebraska. So now is the time to be scouting for the eggs of uh, western bean cutworm and make a decision to treat. If the populations are high enough, treat after tassels emerge, and we'll get better control that way. All right. And of course, you can go to cropwatch.unl.edu to find more information. Again, we've been joined by Bob Wright. He's a professor of entomology and a Nebraska extension specialist joining us with a scouting update. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is joining us and well, the Husker football team getting another recruit, and boy, they've uh, really kind of stockpiled here in the last uh, several months. Well, they're up to 12, which isn't too bad, considering you can't have anyone visit campus. This time around, they've uh, gotten the verbal commitment of cornerback Ladarius Webb Jr. He's from Jackson, Mississippi Academy. He was offered just last month by head coach Scott Frost. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it should. His father played 12 years in the NFL and helped the Baltimore Ravens mm-hmm. to a uh, Super Bowl title. I heard you talk about it this morning on my way uh, into work, and I, it's like that name did kind of mm-hmm. ring a bell a little bit. So uh, if he can kind of live up to that, he should be okay. And hopefully he eventually will sign and make it to Lincoln. Preparations continue in Kearney for the Nebraska Shrine Bowl. Gothenburg's Tucker Wyatt will play for the Norris squad, and he says this invite just kind of came out of the blue. Well, I actually was kind of a, a pickup. So I got a call from Coach Mackey about three weeks ago, and he asked me if I wanted to play, and I said I would love the opportunity to play. So the setback has definitely been in my favor because I don't know if I would have the opportunity to play uh, if it wasn't for the setback of the game. Now they've extended the rosters this year. Normally there's 35 kids per team. This year they bumped it up to 45. Wyatt was named All-State last year to a couple of publications. This fall, he will attend NU and major in biology with the hopes of one day becoming a doctor. Saturday's game is set for two. Of course, we will bring it to you along the Rural Radio Network. I'm sure that was very neat for him, sitting around, like you said, and finally getting the call. It's like getting the call up from the minors to the big leagues. Hey, I'm not doing anything. Let's go ahead and, you know, making it to, to the Shrine Bowl and uh, to play one final game. Yep, and I need to double-check, too. He might be involved in the Western Nebraska All-Star oh, okay. game, too, but playing in the Shrine Bowl, that's a big honor. 
It's a hot day that turned windy and then stormy late out in Scotts Bluff during the first round of the uh, 20th Nebraska Girls Amateur Championship and the 53rd Nebraska Junior Amateur Championship. Now the leaders on the boys' side of things have yet to tee off, but after the first day, you had defending champion Reed Malik of York, Jack Davis of La Vista, and Thomas Bryson of Lincoln. They're all tied at 171. Of the girls' tournament, Neely Adler of Lincoln and defending champion Danica Badura of Aurora are tied for first in the second round. Last check, they were each three over. And earlier this week, UNK volleyball coach Rick Squires was named the Omaha World Herald Midlands Women's Coach of the Year. Chancellor Doug Christensen says that's a well-deserved honor. By and large, he is just solid as a rock, and uh, every year makes a team. And even when he says, "Oh, we don't," you know, we, it's a rebuilding year. It's it's not a rebuilding year for him. It's always reloading, and uh, you know, we just hope we get a chance to play volleyball this year. That cut from the Chancellor is, is dead on when it comes to Coach Squires. I don't know how many times in the last three years I've spoken to him before a game, and he's like, I don't know how we're going to win. I don't know how we can stop these people. <laughs> but good coaches figured out. They figured out. Yep. Uh, and many times last year as part of that 38-1 run, uh, you'd see the Lopers match up against someone who maybe was a little more athletic, but they didn't play the type of volleyball that UNK did. And remember, they went to uh, Wyoming and played the the Wyoming Cowgirls and beat them fairly easily. Mm-hmm. So you know he's he's. I think you kind of forget how good of a coach he is, uh, just because he's been there so long and they've been so successful. But he obviously well deserved honor for him. And hopefully there will be a season. We can hope so. That sports for more. Find it anytime at krvn.com. And before we go, for sure, I also have to mention you'll be on Sports Nightly tonight. I will, 7 30. All right. And you're talking about? Talking about the Shrine Bowl. All right. That is your gig. He was also doing play by play for the Shrine Bowl this Saturday. That is coming up. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. This is Greg Sharp coming up tonight on Sports Nightly, another edition of the Husker Huddle. Jeremiah Searles will sit down with Alex Lewis. We'll have that. We'll have our famous face off. All that coming your way tonight here on Sports Nightly. Tune in to Sports Nightly on the Rural Voice of Nebraska, 880 KRVN. States is baking through an extra hot week and it's only going to get hotter. Some meteorologists predict above normal temperatures through July, if not longer. This heat may not be record-breaking, but it is unusually persistent and widespread in the nation. AP science writer Seth Borenstein says people need to be prepared for what's ahead. The worst part is that when meteorologists look at long-term forecasts, which aren't as good as short-term forecasts, obviously, they don't see any break. They don't see below average temperatures, not August, not September. Meteorologists warn that people have to be careful staying indoors and drinking plenty of water. Nebraskans who lost their jobs will once again have to actively look for new employment to maintain their benefits. State officials say they plan to resume Governor P. Ricketts' reemployment program starting July 12th. Rickett suspended the requirements on March 15th as the coronavirus pandemic forced businesses to close and lay off workers, leading to a surge in unemployment. At its peak in early April, Nebraska had 26,539 new jobless claims in one week. Nebraska's unemployment rate more than doubled to 8.4% in April compared to the prior month. But the state's unemployment rate has stayed well below the national average. Nebraska Game and Parks is holding the Take 'em Fishing Challenge through the month of November. A number of prizes will be offered to those who visit the Outdoor Nebraska website and upload 
a picture of themselves or a friend fishing. Nebraska Game and Parks' Daryl Bauer talks about the grand prize. Um, between Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, and our Game and Park Foundation, they came through with a boat for the grand prize again this year. So that's a, a Tracker Bass Classic XL Bass Boat, 40-horse outboard on the back, trolling motor, depth finder, the whole nine yards. In addition to the XL Bass Boat, prizes include shields, gift cards, kayaks, and stays at Nebraska State Parks. To enter the challenge, visit OutdoorNebraska.gov and search for Take em Fishing Challenge. A Nebraska egg processing company has agreed to invest $2 million in upgrades to its facility to limit pollution and pay an $827,500 fine as part of a settlement with the Environmental Protection Agency and the state. The EPA said that Henningsen Foods has installed equipment at its facility near David City, Nebraska, to reduce the amount of pollutants in the wastewater it sends to the city's treatment plant. The pollutants are byproducts of eggs processing and a cleaning solution used at the facility. In the past, discharges from Henningsen's operation caused David City to release too many pollutants on several occasions. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Laird. Legislation introduced looks to help the process of connecting producers to their consumers. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're going to visit with Jessica Herman. She's the Vice President of Legal and Government Affairs with the Nebraska Cattlemen. And Jessica, as I mentioned, two pieces of legislation recently introduced that we're going to talk about. Uh, one is going to affect producers uh, all across the nation. Um, and then the other one will be a little bit more specific. And we'll, we'll get into that. Let's first, though, talk about the requiring assistance to meat processors for upgrading plants or ramp up act that was recently introduced you bet so the ramp up act the the reasoning behind introducing this is basically to help address some of those supply chain issues by ensuring that our, our producers do have access to new markets um so we're we're kind of put this isn't an issue that we've all been working on for a while but i think COVID 19 and our current marketing situation in the cattle industry has kind of highlighted this and put this on the fast track in terms of why we need different policies to sort of help expand these alternative markets. So what this does, um, basically it sets up a grant program. So um, if it, it would give up to $100,000 to any existing custom locker. So that would be a locker that is not currently USDA inspected. It's operating under the custom uh, meat exemption. So it would give up to $100,000 to be able to go ahead and make those upgrades so that you can get USDA inspected. So um, that's something that we have heard from some of these lockers is, you know, gee, we, we'd love to, but we don't have the money to do what USDA is requiring us to do. Well, this is a federal program, federal legislation that would allow those folks to get that money to make those upgrades. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's got a whole slew of bipartisan co-sponsors, including uh, Colin Peterson, who's the uh, chairman of the House Ag Committee, and then also our own Jeff Fortenberry is one of the original co-sponsors on that. So great piece of legislation. And, and really what this does, too, is um, it's, it's, this is something that different states have tried to actually capitalize on. And I think that is sort of what inspired uh, the federal legislation. So if you look at Kentucky, I think they were the first ones out of the gate. They used actually some tobacco settlement money to put in place a grant program to allow their custom guys to become USDA inspected. Uh, I think North Dakota did it with some coronavirus relief funds. And I believe Minnesota has some uh, money set aside as well. 
So lots of different states are sort of doing this, and now the Ramp Up Act is the federal version to try to get this on the federal level. Now, this next piece of legislation, as I mentioned, is a little more specific because it doesn't impact all states. But for the states that it will impact could, again, really help uh, these these producers that do a lot of direct-to-consumer marketing. Absolutely. So once again, we've got another bipartisan one um, that is trying to help provide some of those direct-to-consumer options for beef producers and also the consumers that are wanting those. Um, you know, it's it's one of those ever-increasing things that we're trying to do in the beef industry is to kind of keep up with the uh, evolving demands of modern-day consumers and um, trying to also evolve with the speed of commerce. So what this would do is for states that have state meat inspections. So Nebraska does not have state meat inspections, but for the other states that do right now, um, if your product is inspected through your state and you're one of these, you know, direct-to-consumer producers, you can only sell your product through that state. Um, you can't cross state lines. So what this would do is kind of put up in place a framework so that um, those direct-to-consumer folks could actually start uh, selling across state lines, even if they are just in the state inspected, if they just have state inspections. So should Nebraska get state inspection, um, then something like this, they would it would really ensure that anybody who you know is a direct-to-consumer uh, producer is allowed to sell. You know, let's say if you're here in Nebraska, you could sell to Kansas or North Dakota or kind of anywhere a consumer can find you. So I think things like these are really important because we're seeing just more and more of this, I like to call it like this kind of consumer niche where folks are really interested in that uh, locally grown direct-to-consumer kind of experience. And, you know, here in Nebraska, we have the best beef in the nation. And, you know, if somebody in Vermont, let's say, wants to buy some beef here in the state, you know, let's do everything we can to make sure that that's allowable and um, even if you know you have state meat inspection, that that's not a hurdle to actually selling to those folks. So this is a great piece of legislation. Hopeful that it'll get passed. Um, great bipartisan support, which I think fully will will help it. And again, going back to that bipartisan effort, hopefully making these bills very appealing. And it's great to see both sides really recognizing the situation uh, the industry is in, especially with our hiccups in the supply chain. Um, and these bills really addressing some of these issues. Absolutely. That's something that we have seen. Um, obviously, you know, any cattle producer right now will tell you the marketing woes that we've gone through over the past few months and, and trying to find those alternative markets because we have had such an issue with the big three in the packing industry, the, the large packing industry. So trying to find an alternative market is incredibly important, even more so now. But also these consumers, you know, they, you got to remember, they also went to the grocery store and they stood for you know, an hour in line at the beef counter and maybe they weren't even able to get anything because the shelves were empty. So I think allowing them to sort of bypass that as well and access that high quality, nutritious, delicious beef that they want um, from one of our producers here in the state, just kind of cutting out the middleman. I think that's one of the most important things that policy can do. And that's what these two bills are trying to, particularly the direct act would try to do. All right. Thanks so much. Jessica Herman, again, our guest today, Vice President of Legal and Government Affairs, talking to us more about the Ramp Up and Direct Act legislation recently introduced. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are drifting up and down as a continued rally for big tech companies make up for weakness elsewhere across Wall Street. Roughly two out of three stocks in the S&P 500 were lower at midday. 
with several chemical and travel-related companies taking the hardest hits. Offsetting that were gains for several tech-oriented giants, which investors have been piling into on expectations that they can grow almost regardless of the economy. The Supreme Court is siding with the Trump administration in its effort to allow more employers to opt out of providing no-cost birth control to women as required by the Affordable Care Act. In a 7-2 decision, the court says the administration acted properly when it allowed more employers who cite a religious or moral objection to opt out of covering birth control. The Obama-era health law said most employers must cover birth control as a preventive service had no charge to women in their insurance plans. Also, the Supreme Court has ruled that certain employees of religious schools, hospitals, and social service centers cannot sue for employment discrimination. The justices had previously said in a unanimous 2012 decision that the Constitution prevents ministers from suing their churches for employment discrimination, but the court didn't specifically define at that time who counts as a minister. Today's 7-2 ruling makes that clear. The storied New York clothing company Brooks Brothers is filing for bankruptcy protection. The company that says it's put 40 U.S. presidents in its suits, survived two world wars and navigated through casual Fridays and a loosening of dress standards even on Wall Street. But the coronavirus pandemic pushed the 200-year-old company into seeking Chapter 11 protection today. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Pesticide-resistant management, tools, and impacts. It's been a discussion with the United Board and University folks all across the country. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. So I talked with Christy Sprague. She's with Michigan State University about ways producers have to deal with resistance. Well, I think one of the biggest things we need to do is um, assess how some of our strategies are actually working and controlling some of our weeds. So um, at this point in the season, we've probably got either some post-emergence herbicides that have just recently been applied or will be applied pretty quickly. So we need to really think about um, what was there when we were making those herbicide applications and how effective these post-herbicide applications are going to be. And if we're seeing some weed escapes that we're not expecting to really go out there and identify what those problems are and try to find the root problem behind that. Well, there's so many options out there for them when it comes to to controlling pests. And I like the fact that we... Yeah. So, you know, especially from weed standpoint, we really rely very heavily on herbicides, but there's been a lot of work looking at how we can integrate some other strategies, whether it's uh, cover crops. There's a lot of people that are looking at some different kinds of tillage equipment and things that we can try to start integrating more of these uh, strategies. So we're not just relying on herbicides, particularly as we start seeing more and more weeds become resistant to not just one herbicide, but multiple uh, herbicides that are out there. So we really need to start thinking about some of these uh, integrated strategies to help manage um, some of these tougher-to-control weeds. So, Christy, is there any weeds that really kind of stick out um, in your mind that, hey, we really need to get a better handle on this before it becomes more of a problem? Yeah, and in fact, um, for Pest Week, there's uh, been kind of a, a thing of four weeds to remember. And the four weeds that are really highlighted are things like 
water hemp and palmer amaranth, which are two pigweed species that can be pretty devastating. And because they produce so much seed, a lot of times when we do have escapes, it can uh, take over a whole field very quickly. A couple other weeds that um, uh, we start to see maybe a little bit more in the upper Midwest are things like giant ragweed, which can also be a problem. And if anybody's ever driven by a soybean field that has giant ragweed escapes, you can see how devastating that can be. And then I know here in Michigan, a lot of times we're just seeing getting ran over by a horseweed or mare's tail. That happens to be one of the ones that um, is getting, you know, more rampant. And because it is windblown, it is extremely difficult to try to get that under control. So, you know, there's a lot of strategies that uh, people are using to try to manage these things. And it's been great that we have some of these new technologies that we can start using other types of herbicides to help uh, manage some of these tougher to control weeds. So if somebody wants to know more information about these invasive weeds or uh, talk about cover crops, as you mentioned, where are some good resources for them to be able to get the ball rolling? Well, that's really a great question. So uh, the United Soybean Board has done a really good job of partnering with weed scientists and also industry for several years um, in really creating the uh, take action um, kind of movement. So uh, there is kind of an overall website that people can go to that's IWillTakeAction.com. There's a lot of very good resources there talking about some of these tough-to-control weeds, what are some of the different strategies. That's my conversation with Christy Sprague of Michigan State University. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Thursday night, it's Senior Legion Baseball action on Cami Country as Pinnacle Bank of Lexington is back at home as they take on Highline, and we will bring you all of the action. Our coverage on Thursday night from Lexington starts with our pregame show around 7.50 with first pitch scheduled for 8. That's Senior Legion Baseball action Thursday night from Lexington as the Pinnacle Bank Seniors take on Highline, and we will bring you all of the action on Cami Country and at krvn.com. Play Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Market Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain as we look here at the closing grain markets. And, John, is it too early to talk about possibly a harvest low being set in wheat? Oh, I think we're probably there. I, you know, I'm the, I would be hesitant to chase it, just given, I mean, the, the push up to 17 here on the Chicago, and I think Chicago is really where the, where the market lies, especially on the upside. Um, you know, KC's going to lag. So a uh, potential trade would be to look at the Chicago versus KC. That's about, what am I looking at, 60 cents wide? I think my math's right on that. And that could go dollar over if we've seen it in the past. And I think the KC still has a lot of supply supply issues. Uh, the Chicago side is uh, is going to trade a little more off Europe, whereas Russia's going to have that Black Sea price. Um, we did see a, a tender yesterday that was at 205, I think, for Egypt, which the way you look at it, you can say it's on its way down or it could be cheaper. Uh, so I think wheat takes its cue from that a little bit and, and possibly bottom for the near term, although I, I kind of expect prices to maybe come back to the lows we just saw at the end of August uh, when, when the corn lows possibly are made. So I think that's uh, that's my game plan. You know, same on the corn uh, for the next three weeks. See if you can get some more weather squeeze out of it. And then by the 1st of August, you've got to start, start hunting for a home for it. Now, looking here at the corn and soybeans today, was this more a spread unwinding type action, or could we actually be seeing some stable uh, moving forward type of price direction from today? 
Well, I mean, there's not really much to do. You know, the price is cheap. Too cheap for folks who want to sell July 7th. Um, but it's also, you know, seen a nice little move here. And uh, I think the, the fear you get on Wednesday, or Friday, rather, today's Wednesday, uh, on the USDA report is they start hacking away at demand. USDA is notorious for taking things out of one pocket and putting it in the other, and they gave you some love with the, with the acreage. I could see them uh, doing kind of what they did a year ago where they maybe hammer you with some, some demand uh, drops. Uh, that's at least what I'm expecting sometime between now and September, um, but uh, it doesn't have to happen instantly. But I just think corn has, has a, a tremendous uh, hill to climb to get, uh, to get the market really back to where, where it was in the past few years, which you know, still would only be 360, 370 at this time. Over in that dollar, it gets it's absolutely getting crushed here today. Can we expect more pressure? Oh boy! I mean, yeah, I think you can. We'll see what happens at the end of the at the end of uh, of July. That's when the unemployment insurance extensions run out. If they continue to extend those, dollar probably breaks. If they don't, I don't. I think there's a squeeze. Folks are going to have a hard time paying their bills without it, and that's when the dollar tends to strengthen. John Payne with Daniel Zag Marketing. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Again, sign up for that this week in grain at danielzagmarketing.com. Okay, thank you very much, Clay. Well, that'll wrap up today's midday program. If you missed any of the content or interviews, you can rehear any of that. And our midday podcast, available at krvn.com or on iTunes. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motor. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DeveniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Deveni deal.